Good morning, all. How's everybody doing? Good. Be turning your Bible to Luke chapter 8, and uh, we'll begin there in just a minute. You know, I was going to go down there on the floor, but uh, I didn't realize all you people were up in the balcony, and I felt like if I go down there, you wouldn't see me. So, uh, you know, you may not be able to see me anyway from all the way up there. Yeah, you're waving your arm. <laughs> I guess you can. Well, hey, it's good to be here today. I haven't been uh, over here in the chapel for a while, and uh, good to be here. Those uh, who are married are not at the marriage retreat, uh, including me and my wife, although we were at the marriage retreat last weekend in Honolulu, Hawaii. Uh, so uh, that, was, uh, that was nice, I must say. Uh, people say, well, what's the weather like in Hawaii? Well, it's like 80 degrees every day. Uh, and it's uh, very, very nice. So uh, anyway, it's a little bit of paradise on the earth. One of my good friends was asking me, well, what are you going to preach on today? And uh, I kept saying, well, parable of the sower. And, yeah, and that's, uh, that's preacher speak for I don't have a sermon ready yet. <laughs> because anybody can understand the parable of the sower, right? Right. Well, that's why I had you turn to Luke 8, because we're going to read the parable of the sower. But I'm not going to preach on the parable of the sower. I'm going to preach on one single aspect of what he says that I think is very, very important. Now, with Jesus, you have stories. He tells stories to illustrate truths, right? And uh, the parable of the sower is actually more adequately understood as the parable of the soils. It's this guy who's a farmer. He's sowing his seed. But the, the, the story is about the seed that falls to the different places and the reaction that these different places have are different. And what they represent are you and me. Let's go ahead and read it together. Luke chapter 8 in verse 11. In this case, Jesus actually explains the parable. He says, this is the meaning of the parable. So he explains it to him. He says, I'll, I'll give you the, the inside scoop here. The seed is the word of God. So he's saying the word of God is sown out into people's lives. And there, here's going to be the reactions that different people can have. The seed on, uh, th- those among the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved. So the first soil he talks about is the path. Now, a path by definition, it would be sort of beat down, wouldn't it? Because people or carts or, or vehicles have been going along and it's sort of compressing the soil in. And so this first soil is, is, is uh, people that are hard. And, and even though it might have an impact on them, if it could get in, it can't get in because they're hard. Well, let's go on. He talks about some other things. Then in verse 13, he talks about the rock. And uh, then and it says, uh, uh, or, or in, uh, the path, rather. And then in verse 13, it says, those on the rock. And so there's rocky soil among the soils that this seed goes flying out to. And it says, they receive the word with joy when they hear it. But they have no root. They believe for a while. But in the time of testing, they fall away. So you've got the path that's hard. Then you've got the rock that's hard too. But it has some soil around it. And it begins to grow. But then it 
the roots hit the rock and it stops growing. And Jesus describes this as a time of testing. You know, if you believe anything somewhere down the road, what you believe is going to be tested, right? And you're going to have to say, well, do I really believe that? And so that's the kind of response that this people have. Verse 14, the seed that fell among the thorns. And so here's a third soil now. This is thorny or weeds, if, if you want to look at it that way. That fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. Now, interestingly enough, Jesus is almost describing a continuum here. You've got the path where nothing really happens, the rock where the rocky soil where something happens, but not really doesn't get to uh, where it needs to be. Now you've got the thorny soil where it says, "Hey, it's making progress, but it's also competing with the weeds for the nutrient and the the uh, the good in the soil." And it says that it does not mature. So in this case, you actually have a plant there, but nothing is really happening from it. And then you get to the good soil. And the title of the sermon today is, How to Keep the Good Soil Good. What's he say about the good soil? It says, But the seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Well, why did, the, why did the farmer in the first place sow out the seed? What is his intent? His intent is what? To have a crop, right? And so the, the, the first three soils don't make it. But the fourth soil does. And we see the good thing. It says there's a good heart. They retain it. They persevere. And, and in doing so, they produce a crop. And so we're talking about this good soil staying good. Now, I'm going to make an assumption today that's probably not true in every one of our cases. But I'm going to make the assumption that you want to be good soil. Right? You may not always be good soil. But at least you want to be the good soil that is going to be able to produce the crop that Jesus wants there. Now, hold your, uh, well, don't hold your finger there. You know what? I need to start my time. Oh, my goodness. Okay, look over to James, look over to James chapter 1. I want us to notice a, pa- a passage here that talks about our hearts in, in relationship to this, this, uh, this good soil, this good soil staying good. In James 1 and verse 26, you guys there? I really didn't start my clock, so I'm going to guess that I went about five minutes there. James 1, 26, if anyone considers himself religious, yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. <laughs> well, we, I'm not preaching on that, but we might think about it, okay? That's, that's pretty good stuff right there. Yeah, you've got to love James. James is really blunt in things that he says. Verse 27, a religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and, look at this, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That real religion is, is giving to people who really have obvious needs and also keeping yourself from being polluted. There's a possibility out there that you could be polluted if you're not careful. And he says that true religion is really being able to keep that sort of away from you. 
from being polluted by the world, how to keep the good soil good. Well, this fits in that, that discussion, doesn't it? Hey, you've got to be paying attention to what's going on. Now, what we're going to do now is we're going to go over to the book of 1 John. If, if, you're, uh, if you're turning in your Bibles, go on over there. Book of 1 John. The reason that uh, I did some extra study in 1 John is that I, I did my normal read through the Bible in a year. I don't know how many of you have ever done that, but that's a lot of fun. Uh, you read through the Bible in a year, but what I always do is I read ahead, and so I, I, I end early. Uh, and so, you know, I get to this time of year all, every year, and I'm like, well, okay, what do I do now? In this case, in reading through First John, I thought, you know, man, that's really interesting stuff. And First John, I want to go back and I want to study it more. So for the last several weeks here, I've been studying in First John. And I realized that I hadn't really used a lot of passages in First John in any of my sermons lately. So you're going to get a lot of First John this morning. And it's going to help us with this idea of how do you keep the good soil good. 1 John is called a general epistle. You say, what does that mean? It's the Apostle John writing to the Christians of his time, and he's trying to help them keep their lives going in the right direction. And he's addressing issues that he sees in their lives. And as Reese pointed out earlier, by the way, I thought Reese did a great job on the contribution, explaining the contribution and all that. But he, uh, he, he made a comment that's really true, is that those people back then and us today in many ways are not all that much different. You know, we drive faster chariots and, and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, as far as people, people are people. And so when you read in First John, the things that he says... He's saying things to them about how can you keep the good soil good. You know what I'm saying? I mean, have you ever looked at your life and think, man, you know, I was a little better a year ago or five years ago than I am now. You know, most of us can look at our life sometimes and say, you know, I think if you, if you are trending me, I'm trending down. That can happen. Now, you can also look at yourself and say, hey, I'm doing better. And that's fantastic, too. But the reality of our life is that sometimes we're trending up and sometimes we're trending down. We're never really steady. We're, we're moving up or we're moving down most of the time in our spiritual life or in our heart. Our good heart. You don't get a good heart and you get it and you got it and you never have to worry about it. Having a good heart is a process of getting it to that point. But really what we're looking at is, how do you keep a good heart good? You know, I became a Christian when I was a college student. And whether you think uh, it's true or not, that was a long time ago. <laughs> I was baptized in 1977. Some of you I know were not even alive uh, at, at that time. Uh, you know, but some of us were, and God bless us, the 70s and 80s, it was a fun time to be alive. But anyway, I became a Christian a long time ago. And so this process of, of keeping your heart where it needs to be and every once in a while doing a self-diagnostic and saying, hey, I think I'm not where I need to be. I need to, I need to get back a little bit to where I need to be. John is, a, is writing about those kind of things to these people in 1 John. You guys with me here? Okay, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1. We're going to read several uh, passages here in chapter 1, a little bit into chapter 2. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. 
So this is John writing to the Christians. He says, this is what we've heard from Jesus. We're declaring it to you. God is light in him. There's no darkness at all. If we claim, now this claim thing is a big deal. In other words, if we say, if we think, he's saying, I know some of you think this. I know some of you are saying these things. If we claim to have fellowship with him yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim, wow, he hits it again. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim, wow, he's on this claim thing, isn't he? I think he knows what these people have been saying, and he's, he's addressing these issues. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. My dear children, I love that that term right there. This is how he's speaking to them. He's speaking to them as if they were his family. He says, I I consider you guys like my children, my dear children. I write this to you so that you will not sin. But uh, But if anybody does sin... We have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. Point number one, if you're going to keep the good soil good, if you're going to keep your heart good, you're going to have to be honest about your life. You're going to have to be honest about what's going on in your life. You know, many times we want to say, hey, I'm fine. I'm okay. Don't worry about me. But we know, even as we say that, that's not exactly true. We're not really being honest, many times, about where we're at. Because we don't want to look bad, we don't want to be embarrassed, we don't want people to look down on us, we don't want people to, to think uh, ill of us or that kind of thing. And so we sort of smooth over where we're really at, and, and in essence what we're doing is that we're claiming something that's not true. We're claiming we're here when really we know we're not there, we're really over here, we're not being honest about what's going on in our life. That's exactly what he's addressing right here. He says you've got to be honest about what's going on in your life. Look at verse 6. Look what he says here. He says, If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. So that, that's the I'm fine. In verse 8 he says, If we claim to, have, uh, to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. We deceive ourselves. You know, it's one thing to be deceived by somebody. Tricked. It's a whole other thing to deceive yourself. You just tell yourself, no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And you deceive yourself. Over time, you convince yourself that you're not where you really are. You're in a state of confusion. Because you've been telling people you're okay for so long that you really begin to think, I, I must be okay because I said I'm okay. 
and you deceive yourself. You're faked out. Who faked you out? You. You faked yourself out. You said it so long, you believed it. And then look at verse 10. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our life. We're no longer open to the truth. Now, right in the middle of that, what does he say? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This idea of confession or being honest and open scares people to no end. And I can tell you why. Uh, is because they don't want to look bad. It scares me. You know why? Because I don't want to look bad. <laughs> it scares all of us. We're like, oh, no. What are they going to think if they know that I am not what, you know, I wish they hoped I was? And so we live in this sort of lack of being honest kind of a world. Look on over to James chapter 5. James actually talks about the idea of confession as well. In uh, in verse, uh, let's pick it up in verse 13 and sort of catch everything in context. He says that, is any of you in trouble? He should pray. <laughs> Good advice, right? If anyone is happy, let him sing songs of praise. If any one of you is sick, he should call the elders of the church and to have him pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make a sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he'll be forgiven. Look at this, verse 16 now. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. This idea of, of prayer and confession is really important if you're going to keep your heart good. Now, let's be honest. Should you confess your sin to just anybody? Well, probably not. But I hope that you have somebody in your life that you value, that you have someone in your life that you trust, that you can talk to. Because you need to, and I need to, keep the good soil Good. Now, is confession for forgiveness? No, forgiveness is from God. But confession is, in, in many respects, more than for anybody else. It's for you. To be honest, this is where I'm at. And, and notice he says, confess and pray for each other. The whole point of confession is that we can, we can have an honest talk with each other and then we can take our concerns to the Lord and pray with and for each other so that we can be healed, so that we can move on, that we can get out of this mess or this cycle of, of things that we're in and we can move on in our life. I'm incredibly blessed in my life with really, really good friends that I've known over a long period of time. And it's a comfort from time to time just to be able to have a conversation with him. I say time to time. You know, if every time you get together, you say, hey, I've got to be open about this. I've got to be open about that. You know, you're going to find out about your friends. Your friends are going to be busy when you want to get with them. No one wants to have a highly intense talk with anybody every time you get together. But every once in a while, you follow me? 
you need to be able to have a conversation where, hey, I've, I've, got, to, I've got to be open here. I, I'm not really where I need to be. And, I'm, I, and, and, I, and I trust you. I know you. We've known each other for many, many years. And so you can have that conversation with each other. Okay, now let's, uh, let's look on here in John because, you know, he talks about this whole thing of sin, uh, you know, pretty clearly. Well, look on over to chapter 2 because, he, you know, he flows in uh, to chapter 2, and we did that a little bit in our reading. Um, and, and he comes along here in, in verse 15, chapter 2, verse 15. He gives some really good thoughts here about this idea of sin. Now, he's talked about sin. Sometimes in church we feel a little awkward about uh, talking about sin. Well, we shouldn't because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? And so, you know, when I bring up sin, no one should be looking at me like, oh, my gosh, Marty sins. Uh, well, of course, Reese knows. I mean, yeah, he, he knows way too much, you know. Uh, but, uh, you know, no, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. The sweetest, most awesome looking person in this room sins and falls short of the glory of God. The most wicked, dirty, mean-looking guy in his room sins and falls short of the glory of God. Nobody is out of that path. But he, so he talks about this in verse 15, chapter 2, verse 15. You guys there? He says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man... The lust of his eyes and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and his uh, desires pass away. But the man who loves the will of God lives forever. Hey, he breaks this down into really simple stuff, doesn't he? He says, if we want to make sure we're not being drawn into a, a sinful life, here are the things you need to look at. The cravings of sinful man. And, and he details two of them here. The lust of his eyes. You've got to be careful what you're looking at. And the boasting of what he has and does. All these things come from the world. They're going to lead you in the wrong direction. They're going to take that good soil and they're going to pollute it. It'll become more and more polluted. And you've got to look at your life. I've got to look at my life and say, hey, is this a description of how I'm living? The lust of the eyes, the boasting of what he has and does. This comes from not from the Father, but from the world. The world's desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. How do you keep the good soil soil? Point number one, be honest about your life. Point number two, be a lover of people. John emphasizes this incredibly as he writes to them about their life. Look at chapter 3. In verse 11, be a lover of people. Point number two. He says, this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Now, John is referring back to his time with Jesus, right? Jesus says to him, John 13, 34 and 35, by this all men will know you're my disciples because of what? Because you love one another, or the love that people have for other people around them. This is the message we heard from the beginning. This is the simple of all simples of, of Christianity. What does it mean to be a Christian? 
It means to love other people around you. That's why Christianity is an answer uh, for the world and all the things going on in the world. He says, this is a message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain. Now, he's referring back to a story in the book of Genesis. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? So John here says, I'm going to help you understand the why here behind what happened. Why did he murder him? Because his, actions, his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. He looked at what was going on in his brother's life and it, it ticked him off. He said, I feel bad about myself because of what you're doing in your life. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. You know, sometimes Christians get, they get confused. Well, why don't people love Christians? Why don't people see the good we do and, and say, hey, these people are great? Because if a Christian is doing what they're doing, they are more than likely doing things that are making the people around them not necessarily praise them, but to be annoyed by them. You do-gooders. You're always do-gooding. How many times have we spring up? For the poor. Helping the poor. As Christians do those things, we think, well, people should love us for that. The exact opposite happens. You annoy people around you. Because the things that you do sheds a light on what they don't do or won't do. And he says, you know, hey, don't be surprised if the world hates you. You know, sometimes a Christian will go through a time of persecution. Someone in their class, college students, high school students we have here. You know, someone in your class learns that you're a Christian. And they make it their job to persecute you. Someone at work. They make it their job to make your life difficult. And you say, what did I do wrong? Maybe you did something wrong, but perhaps you did nothing wrong. Perhaps you're just being a Christian. You know, Jesus, at the end of the day, they did crucify him. And he's saying here, don't be surprised if you go through a time when people don't think you're the coolest guy in the room. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Here is the defining moment of love. This is the description of love that we can apply and look in, into our own lives. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. What he did is he did not only to have it be done, but also as an example for us. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. He's saying really loving other people is not just talking about it. It's actually doing something about it. Not just words, but also actions. You see, we're talking about how do you keep the good heart good? Well, in our first point, we look, we say, well, we've got we've to be honest about our life that sometimes we're not where we need to be. We need to talk with each other, confess, pray for each other, get, get our heart where it needs to be. But also this, how do we keep that good heart good? 
We love people. Now, here's the problem with loving people. Some people, when we love them, it's not reciprocal. And you love them, and you feel like you give of yourself to them, but you don't feel anything coming back. You know what I'm saying? And you say, well, I, you know, I, I, I did something nice for them. Why can't they say something nice about me? You know, that kind of a thing. I don't seem to be getting anything back from what I'm giving. And so he says, this is what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for people around us. Look over to chapter uh, uh, 4, a little bit further on, verse 19. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. How do you keep your heart good? You love other people around you. You care about them. All of us have some people in our life that are easy to love. I want you to be thinking about someone in your life right now that is easy to love. This seems to come natural. seems to come easy. Now think about somebody. That's a little bit more challenging. <laughs> because you feel like, well, man, I'm really giving a lot here and I'm not feeling it. Don't feel anything coming back my way, if you know what I'm saying. And I remember Jesus died on the cross for all of us. There's times in my life, times in your life, that I've thought about Jesus dying on the cross for me, and I'm like, wow, that is, that is unbelievably awesome and touching. There's other times I think about Jesus dying on the cross for me, and I'm like, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Maybe it's just me. But perhaps that's a place where we all get. That there's times where Jesus looks at me and says, you know, it's really, I really like Marty. Marty is awesome. And then there's other times he looks down on me and says, you know, he is a little wart. I mean, he's just <laughs> ungrateful. <laughs> I have given and given and given and given. And his prayer is gimme, 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 gimme. You know? Maybe it's just me. <laughs> but, you know, we, we, uh, we, we, we actually moved over something about Jesus that's really important. Look back to chapter 1. We, we flew past this so quickly. I, I love what he says here in chapter 2, verse 1. It's, of course, right in the same context there of what he's talking about. He says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks. Now, get this. We have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. 
Let me read that again, just in case you didn't get it. But if anyone does sin, well, that would catch me. We have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So the conversation here is between God the Father and Jesus about me. He speaks to the Father in our defense. Now, Lord, Dad, Father, I know he has said a hundred times that he wouldn't do anything like that again, and he did it again. And I know you're about ready to send a lightning bolt. (laughs) Give him another chance. (laughs) He's, He's really a good guy. He speaks to the Father in our defense. I'm telling you guys, this is good stuff. Some of us have been keeping Jesus busy. I mean, it, it, it's an ongoing conversation. No, no, he's good. He's okay. He's speaking to the Father in our defense. Look at this. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, you say, what is an atoning sacrifice? This is a great word that you don't have to understand other than to understand this. At, A-T, one. What's an atoning sacrifice? An atoning sacrifice is a sacrifice that creates an at one. Jesus sacrificed his life so that we could be one with the Father. We spend our life messing up. He spends our life defending us. He gave his life so that we could have a relationship with God. He is the atoning sacrifice, the at-one sacrifice, so that you can have a relationship with God. Now, I want to close our our sermon here with some of you being able to share. And you can stay where you're at and share. But I want just a few minutes here. We don't have that much time, but a few minutes. And I want you to think about these two questions. Got to put my my glasses so I can read them. Have you been loved? And who do you need to love? I want you to think about that. Have you been loved? And who do you need to love? Anybody want to share? Have you been loved? And who do you need to love? Yes, sir. Yeah, just stand up. And it's a great time of year. 
because families are mostly, you know, uh, going to get together. At least a lot of families get together. You can tell your parents how much you appreciate. Mom, Dad, thanks for loving me. I know I was a knucklehead at time to time. It, my words, not yours. Uh, but, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, to, to pull your sister off and say, hey, I, I need to do better. Good. Anybody else? Up in the balcony. Yes, Margaret. Good. It's important in our lives, guys, to be able to answer those questions. And whether you share it publicly or whether you, in your mind, are, are rolling this through, it is important to understand and think through who's loved me. And to really be able to fill in those blanks with, man, I know that this person really loved me. Or this person really loves me by what they've done and how they've conducted with me uh, in life, and you can identify certain circumstances and situations where they loved you. It's important for us to fill in those blanks. I know that I've been loved. And it's also important for us to be in an honest, you know, reflective mode of, you know, I know there are some people in my life that I need to love, that I need to go after. It's not easy. They may not respond favorably. It may not be a, you know, Happy ending, you know, kind of a feeling, uh, even the conversation at that time. But there are people that you know that as far as it's up to you, this is the way you got to look at it. As far as it's up to me, I'm going to do my dead level best to make sure that I've done what's right and I've, I've tried to love those people, even if at this point in time they may be unlovable. Now, the interesting thing is, is that many times... When you do that, it may be a week, it may be a month, it may be a year, it may be many years, but they will come back and say, you know, that was a turning point in my life. And I didn't respond very good at the time, but I recognize now, you know, what courage and conviction it took of you to be able to say those things in my life. Okay, let's go full circle. We started out with how to keep the good soil good. 
hopefully looking sort of perusing through First John. We didn't even begin to cover all that's in First John. But just going through First John will give us these two things to go away with today. How do I keep my good soil good? How do I keep my good heart good? Number one, be honest about your life and where you're at. And number two, be a lover of people. I hope you guys got some good stuff out of uh, Luke 8 and 1 John this morning in our study and our time together. Um, I, I'm not sure whether the, the Spanish-speaking service over there is completed or not. They ought to be getting done about this time. But uh, you guys have a great week. Remember, as Reese said, next Sunday the uh, service will be over in the auditorium. The uh, Spanish-speaking ministry is going to be having their marriage retreat this coming weekend and so many of them or most of them of the marys anyway will be over there but if if you're here uh next sunday it'll be over in the main auditorium and we will have a wonderful time of worship listen i can speak for all the ministry people your ministers it is an honor a privilege to be your servants and we enjoy it we love it and uh have a great day you are dismissed